0: 1 Corinthians chapter 1 it's just a little basis we have some figures or facts and figures and sometimes you say well why would you want to give facts and figures uh, in a bible study and they're simple facts and figures by the way but why would you want to give facts and figures in a bible study um, and I know this is different altogether but the reason I'll give it is simply that we will be able to understand a little more um, according to our own uh, capabilities and mentality. Denise, could you turn me down just a little bit? I think I'm booming a wee bit here. It sounds like a thank you. That's it. Thank you very much. Um, it's just so as we will be able to grasp it in man's mentality more uh, um, and understand it a little better, puts it into perspective what we want to say when we bring out some uh, literal facts for you. Uh, so let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, run down to verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and of base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen yea, and things which are not, to bring to nought things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Now we looked at this more in depth. It was two weeks ago because we were off last week, but when we looked at part one of the science and ten. Bible proofs, I called it, because there's 10 things that are set forth in the Word of God. Well, there's 10 that I've chosen for this. There's far more. But there's 10 things that I've, we're going to look at that are set forth in the Word of God. And the Lord told us they're there. And it's simple faith that's been imputed to us by the Spirit that causes us to believe the Word. And so God says what it is. God does what he means, what he says. And so because of that, we believe it. And we're men of high intelligence. Not all men, but many of high intelligence or, or women. Um, may look at us as simple. May look at us as people with not too much intelligence because of so many letters after their name. And they've went to so many universities and become professor this, that, or the other. And we have like of the Hawkings and the Dawkins of the world who write these books to the God, delusion, denouncing God. Now, we went into that more in the first part, and we we'll are not go into it too much tonight. But the reason I had chosen the scriptures is because God has chosen the foolish things. So when I say this, I say this with respect, and I say it, including myself. You and I are the foolish things of the world. Now, there's people with great intelligence, but nevertheless, to believe these things seems foolish to others. You see what you believe? Do you see this faith that you've been given by God to be exercised in Jesus' name? Man thinks it's foolish. And say man, I mean outside of Christ. The, the secular world, even the intelligentsia of this world thinks it's foolish. How can someone believe in an invisible God How can someone believe there is a God when now we've figured all this stuff out about a Big Bang and we've figured out about evolution and and yet it's all guessing? There's no proof, 100% proof at all in their theories of evolution, neither in the Big Bang theory, if you want, for another word. There's no 100% proof on it. And God has placed in our hearts the ability to believe his word. The ability to believe that God created the heavens and the earth, and Genesis one and one, we mentioned it in part one, and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we say you 're looking for all these things you 're looking for all these tests you 're sending out all these probes into space you 're trying to figure out facts and figures and numbers, and you 're doing all of this great stuff, and you 're saying, you know look at us, we are the wise we're the wisdom of the world, but yet God has actually chosen you and I, people who are just your average five eighths, if you want. And he's placed faith in us to believe his word. And what you'll find is science today is, is only catching up on what the Bible has said thousands of years ago. Actually, science is not disproving God's word. But science, the more they look into it, is proving God's word. So, when you hear people who say, ah, there was a big bang in their hand, can't be a god, they're only, if they go into the real facts that they think are facts, they aren't facts. It's guesswork. Because billions or trillions of years that they believe in, they weren't there. They don't know. It's all speculation, and science is trying to find out, but we don't need to because God has already told us. For the one who spoke the worlds into being has told us in the beginning. As I created this. Now, a heart that is not up, a spirit that is not quickened, made alive by the Holy Spirit, will never be able to believe in Christ. Do you know that? I've heard great news this weekend, and Jillian got saved this weekend. And the thing is that no one can understand the scripture you might be able to understand the history of stuff, but you can't understand the spiritual, spiritual side or the depth of the Spirit without the Holy Spirit. You can't understand it without it. You can't receive it without it, and you can't believe it without it, without him, without God and the Spirit. So what I'm saying is here, when it says here, God uh, uh, has chosen the foolish, and it says God has chosen, look what it says, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. And you find, and look, I'm not against science by any. I'm not against science. I'm not against medicine. I'm not against any of it. I'm for it. But the idea of it is is that God hath chosen men and women who the intelligentsia would look at and say, dear help them poor souls, because they know no better. But really, you're streets ahead of the intelligentsia. Or should I say, you're years ahead of them. In fact, when you can believe the Bible in what it says about God and about creation and what it says about whom he is, you'll find that when you believe that, you're actually way ahead of them and they're just catching up with you because they're dead and a dead man cannot keep up with a living man. A dead woman cannot keep up with a living woman. What do I mean? They're dead in their spirit, so they're trying to find out in the flesh and the the, the limited, uh, finite, finite mind that they have which is bigger than mine, greater than mine, and deeper than mine. But what I have and what you have is the mind of God. We have the scriptures. We have the spirit. We have the mind of the infinite. So whenever we are accepting by faith the creation account that God created the heavens and the earth, by the time they're finished, they're they're starting to do one of these big uh, experiments again is it over in Sweden or Switzerland the big tunnel they're going to do it again but they say it's going to be four times stronger to try and collide everything together to see how the big bang came well you know if they were right and the big bang happens in Sweden or Switzerland whatever it is then bye bye folks because we're all gone big bang is bang and we're gone but they're not right and God says, no, I did this. And why does it help us to be able to see what God has already said and by simple faith in reading his word that we are streets ahead of man's mentality and his own thinking. See, no flesh will glory in his presence. So you and I can't glory in this because this is all of God. And we can't even believe in uh, the, the, the Savior without God either. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, I mentioned it last time, uh, it talks about Christ being the, the wisdom of God and the power of God. How does a man who died on a cross save someone? It's the wisdom of God. How does a man who died on a cross heal someone and save someone by dying and shedding his blood? Because that's the power of God the salvation. That's the power of God under healing. All of the cross is all that we need. And so we believe it by faith and it'll take it, but we couldn't believe that unless... God himself came to us and gave it to us. So you are a privileged people this evening. We are a privileged people this evening because God has visited us and he has spoken to us and shown us our need of a savior, shown us the only savior who is the Lord Jesus Christ and given us, actually given us, imputed to us the ability to believe in his name to call in his name and to walk in his fame. So, whether it be just this weekend someone came to saving faith or whether it be 40, 50, 60 years ago someone came to saving faith and nevertheless, God has met you and give it to you, given it to you. So that's why I brought this, that we, we are not, we may be seen by the world as the unwise and all those other things, but really, They're just catching up with us. If you were to get the book, The God Delusion, and you were to start reading it, you'd find that everything man is trying to find out, God has already told us. God's already told us. So what we've looking at briefly and quickly here, I'm going to run you through the first few that we did last week. And I did do other spin-off ideas on it about the jewels and the, the light and the jewels and the speed of light. And I'll mention those to you to keep you up to speed just where we are at this, okay? So the first one that we looked at, science told us for years, science told us for absolute years that the earth is flat. And as I said last week, in 2004, there are still... In 2004, there was a new website made up. Alice, why are you hiding away down the back? <laughs> I said that to Alice, and you're all right. In 2004, <laughs> there was a new website was formed and by the Flat Earth Society. So there are people in 2015 who still believe in the flat Earth. The earth's flat, like a disc. So here, the Bible tells us that the earth is a sphere, like a ball. Isaiah 40, let's just read these. We'll not comment on them because we did go into them more last week. Isaiah, turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Just read a wee verse out to you. Isaiah 40 and verse 22. Listen to what it says. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretch out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. Now, we won't comment too much on this, but here is the circle of the earth mentioned also, notice the heavens are like stretched out like a tent to dwell in. Whenever you look at science and you say, well, if everything came from a, a little pinhead which imploded to make an explosion and all this sort of stuff they come out with, how did this vast space that we have occur? Trillions and millions and billions of galaxies and You know, we can't even fathom the height of it. How did this happen? Oh, well, you see, through time, the force of it stretches it out. But that's not what happened. God stretched it out when he said, let there be. Full stop. Sister, do you ever get. Oh, that's a bit. I shouldn't say that's a bit sexist. Brother, sister, it usually is the sisters, but do you ever get the duvet? you do that with it on the bed and you, it goes out the full length and you let it fall on top of the bed you just stretch it out in one go you don't get it and roll it into the middle and put a wee bit that side and a wee bit that side or maybe you do. <laughs> and a wee bit that side you don't do that it comes out, pull it out and that's it and God stretched it out full stop here it is, bang not the big bang <laughs> here it is I was a That was a figure of speech there, by the way. (laughs) So here he stretched it. Now, the Lord is telling us through the Spirit, 700 or more years before Jesus even came to the earth, B.C. And he says, I've done this in the earth as a circle. So again then, in Proverbs 8 and 27, it says, he set a compass upon the face of the earth. He set a compass on it, giving the idea again of, uh, of, of four points that can point to a spherical area. Secondly, we looked at the earth. We were always told by science or even by other religions how the earth was kept up in space. Remember the giant elephant standing on the giant tortoise's back? And that's how some believe the earth was kept up. So there's a giant tortoise with a giant elephant standing on his back, and there's a giant earth on top of him, or the earth was kept on top of him. But we looked at how the Lord says he spoke forth his word. And the Bible tells us he upholds all things by the word of his power. And we looked at how Job 26 and verse 7 says, he hangeth the earth upon nothing. So, this is 2000 BC, maybe? So, 2000 BC, roughly, the Lord's telling us, I hang the earth on nothing. And man's trying to figure out, how is the earth floating in space, or what is it hanging from? And the Bible tells us. Thirdly, we looked at this, how each star in the universe... Or the universes or the galaxies, whatever, are different one from another. They're not the same. Like a snowflake is different one from another. So the stars are different. First Corinthians fifteen and verse forty-one. If you're still in the book, why don't you look it up and read it with me? Fifteen and verse forty one. And Paul says. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star. So the Bible's telling us that even the stars are different. And Paul's likeness unto the resurrection, how we will differ. But he said, see, the stars, they differ. How does Paul know that? I'll tell you how Paul knows that. Because the Holy Ghost told him to write this. Fourthly, we looked at this, I think this is the last one we did last week, or the last time. We, the science used to tell us that light is static. In other words, light stops in one place, and when we turn off light, or when the sun moves, light becomes static, and it's just there. It's a block of light. And that's why science used to think of light. But now, Science has found out that the light is not static, that it moves. And the Bible tells us us that too. For example, Job 38. Let's read it just. Job 38. It's a little bit obscure, but I tried to explain it the best I could to you. Last week, Job chapter 38. Verses 19 and 20. Where is the way... Where light dwelleth. As for darkness, where is the place thereof? That thou shouldest take it to the bound thereof, that thou shouldest know the paths to the house thereof. In other words, daytime, a block of light, it's taken away and a block of darkness. And darkness and light were classes similar that they were static. But now we found out that, you know, darkness only exists in the absence of light. Darkness only exists in the absence of light. So whenever you go to your house and there's, a, you open the living room door and the door is dark at night, or the, the room is dark at night. When you open the door and you put your hand on the wall, you turn on the switch. No more darkness because light has come in and night moves, but so quick. It's like it's already here. It's like static. There it is. So science believes that it was static, but we found out that it moves. In fact, it moves at 186,000 miles per second. 186,000 miles per second. Now, we we'll give you a couple of examples. Let me give you a couple briefly, just to keep you, pardon the pun, up to speed. Light travels from the moon. If you go the night and you, tonight and you see the light from the moon, and from the moon that it hits your eye. It takes one second for it to travel that far. If you go out and look at the sun, and we know not that we got it directly, but you know, the sun, the light from the sun that comes and hits your face, or when you're laying your, at the swimming pool on holidays and you're sunbathing, that, sun has left the, the, or that light has left the sun eight minutes before that. Eight minutes earlier, that light that's hitting you at that time left the sun and travelled for eight full minutes at one hundred and eighty-six thousand miles every second. Okay, so we also looked at the nearest star. I think it did Alpha of Centauri, and uh, that's not counting our own sun now. And it takes light to travel 186,000 miles per second for how long? Four and a half years. Think about that. Four and a half years. From the, you go out in the nearest star, you can see the brightest nearest star. That light left there four and a half years ago and it traveled at 186,000 miles per second, and you're seeing it tonight. How fast that is. Why would you say, why would I give you these statistics? Because this is who our God is. This shows the immensity of God, because he fills the heavens and the earth. He's the one who speaks, and all this happens. And he, it's not like he has to keep saying, keep up, keep up, come on, come on, keep up, keep up, keep shining, keep shining. You know? He just says, let it be, and that's it. So what about your life? What about the difficulties and the giants and the mountains uh, and the valleys? And, and what about the sicknesses we're facing? And sometimes, you know, oh Lord, I know you're able, but really are you able? And you know, the Lord says, do, do you not know who I am? I'm the one who does this. Lord, you know I have a a bill come in and I am absolutely skint. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. You leave it with me. I hold this whole universe up. But I don't know what to do because this problems come up and this problems come up and that thing come up. He like, says, Look at the stars. He holds them up. Do you do it? Ken do you do that? No, Lord. Who you to worry? I do that. So the things that are so impossible with us, we see how they're so possible with God. And it's to increase our faith to be able to believe him for greater things, for better things, for other things and for more things that we'll be able to say, Lord, I can't, but you can. And the thing is, he lives in you too. So this great God is in you. Isn't that tremendous? To think that everywhere you go, this God... Uh, who who holds these billions of stars up just by speaking it, lives in you. And when you start speaking, and when you go for an interview, or you go before a doctor, or you go for whatever, and you're standing there, and you are you don't know, I'm a bit nervous in front of this person. Do you know you and I, if we realized who we are in Christ, we should be the most confident people on this earth to step out and step forward and say, hold on, do you know who my daddy is? Have you met my God? I'm not talking about arrogance. and I'm definitely not talking about irreverence. I'm talking about confidence in Christ and none in our flesh. This great God is the one who is for you and he's not against you. This great God is the one who loves you and he knows all about you. We tend to think sometimes, you know, Lord, do you know? This is happening and that, do you know? But where are you? knows everything he knows everything as I said to you last week and I've done a wee bit of maths for you I said that it is believed and it's been counted that light is slowed down in speed when it goes through a gemstone light actually is slowed down in speed when it goes through a gemstone and it's been measured at some of the purest gemstones it goes through at 277 million miles per hour slow down to that now if you sit at 60 mile an hour and you didn't hit a traffic jam and you didn't hit uh, a traffic light and you had no crossroads to slow down you were on a motorway for 60 miles on a motorway just straight for 60 miles nobody in your way just you on the road and you're sitting at 60 mile an hour how far would you go 60 miles 60 miles an hour, isn't that right? 277 million miles per hour. And that's it slowed down. Now the thing is, the greater thing about our God is, he is, in him is, uh, our God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And he doesn't be slowed down and he doesn't need to move because he's everywhere at once. How quick can he come to your rescue and to your aid? How quick can he change the circumstances? How quick can he make things happen when he needs to make and wants to make them happen? How quick whenever you're at your wit's end corner, as it were, and you think you're going over the end of the pier, how quick can God step in and stop it at the last minute? When you're taking your last breath of this life and God needs to stop in and leave, everybody's going, they're the going inside, right up again. He doesn't need to come in like lightning or like the sweet of light, like, because he's already there. Everywhere we go, he's already there. When you come in here, when you go home, no matter where you are, we have to focus our mind to think in the Lord to go to pray. We find somewhere maybe that there's no one around. We, we think, of, but every time, no matter where you are, where you go, and you get down on your knees, or you're standing, or you're walking, and as soon as you even focus your mind on God, he's already there. Don't you find? He's never went anywhere. See, right now, he's still looking at you. <laughs> He's looking at you. See, right now, he's all around you. He's within you. See, right now, he doesn't have to say, hold on a minute, I'm going to think of my children. Hold on a minute, I'm going to think of of what You know, He doesn't have to say that. His mind is always, as we would say, 24-7, because he's not bound with time. 24-7 in our time Every single moment, every single second, his mind is toward you. His eyes are upon you. And he never leaves you. He's never away from you. He doesn't have to find a place. He doesn't have to go somewhere and say, I'm going to draw over here for me and you to get away together. Yes, he draws us for you to come to him, but he's with you all the time. Every single moment, every single second of every single hour of every single day, Neither leaving nor forsaking. I didn't have the calculations in miles per second of this 277 million miles per hour. I tried it today, so I hope I've got my calculations right. Through the gemstone, it slowed down to 76,944.4444 miles per second. I hope I got my ma's right today. (laughs) I got a headache after that as well. Um, If my ma's are right, going through a gemstone, and what did I tell you last week? I don't want to dwell on this because there's so much to show you here. I told you last week that when the high priest of Israel went in before the Ark of the Covenant, the jewels were on the breastplate of judgment with the Israel tribe's name on it, the glory of God came and sparkled through these. The light of God went through And it searched every gemstone representing every man and woman and child and every tribe. Searched it out. And they're sitting in judgment and passes through and comes out like a rainbow color effect. It's a covenant effect. And the Lord says, When I make up my jewels, isn't that right? We read that last week. He says, I'll make up my jewels. I'll bring them in and he says, "And I'll fashion them for me. And sometimes, as I said, God can never be slowing down, but sometimes in our lives, things can be slowing down because God is searching us through the light of his word. And until we change our minds, repent. Uh, uh, Until we change our thinking about him, Things are slowed down, and he searches the heart. It's the idea of the lightning through. Okay, let's go quickly. Here's proof number five. Scientists always believed that err was weightless. Er was weightless. Job 28, please, if you're still on, Job will be handy for you. Job chapter 28. The Bible, again, 2,000 years B.C., probably around there, said different and tells us. Job chapter 28, and let's just read one verse. That's where I run down the verse. uh, If I've got the right, 24. We'll do 24 and 25. For he looketh to the ends of the earth and seeth unto the whole heaven to make weight for the winds and he weigheth the waters by measure. To make weight for the winds and he weigheth the water by measure. Since science has declared at one point that the air was weightless now they declare that it has weight. They call it atmosphere. Atmosphere. Let me give you an example. At sea level, this air that we have here, just that we're walking in, breathing every day, polluted and all as it is, air is made up of particles and molecules. In fact, scientists now say it's made up of fluid Because of these minute particles, and sometimes we say the air is very damp today, you know, but it's made up of of particles and molecules, and they have weight. And this air that we are breathing at sea level, let me give you the weight of it it is 14.7 pounds in weight, PSI. You know, when you go to put your air in your tires many PSI, pounds per square inch? Well, the air that you're sitting in at this moment is 14.7 pounds per square inch in weight. So well, let me give you an idea. Go to sea level to the sea, and you get to measure a square an inch by an inch. 14.7 pounds of pressure if you take that in the atmosphere around. Let me give you another example. If you were to go to the top of Mount Everest, and Mount Everest is 29,000 feet approximately high, tall. And you go to the top of Mount Everest, so you're going up and the air gets thinner, isn't that right? You know why it gets thinner? Because the pressure is getting less, because all the pressure is below you. So from the sea onto the, the, the air where the atmosphere ends of the earth, that's your air atmosphere, Okay. From there to there, from the sea to there, you're walking around in in 14.7 pounds of pressure per square inch. But as you climb up the hill, all that air weight is below you. So you have only 30%. By the time you get to 29,000 feet, you're two-thirds of the way up through your air pressure. And there's only 30% of that air pressure. And it lessens to 4.4 pounds per square inch. Do you know if you went outside of the Earth's atmosphere in the outer space? People think as soon as you go out there, what would happen? There's nowhere out there, there's none. Well, it's very, 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 very negligible. But what would happen? People say we suffocate. That's not the first thing that would happen. You wouldn't have time to suffocate. You know what you'd do? You'd explode. You know why? Because the pressure here if you get a bandage in your arm swelling, you bandage it up and it contains it. that right, Martin? Sort of keeps it something like that. You know, it's not your arm's going to explode, but, you know, it, it's the swelling and the swelling and so, you know, and it would hold that swelling. Well, you're like that. If you went up into space, you'd be like, you start going, you just explode. Because there's no bandage over there. <laughs> It just blew up and explode, it'd be like putting a straw down a, a frog's mouth and blowing it up. <laughs> Not that I've ever done that, by the way. <laughs> 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 but that's what it would be like. So you don't even get a chance <laughs> to suffocate, you explode. There's no pressure. Here's the thing. Do you know how strong you are physically? Let me tell you how strong you are physically. It is reckoned that if you take the air pressure that's upon you now in square inches around your shoulders and your head, do you know what weight you're, you have above you up to, the, up to the, the, the end of the atmosphere of air? What weight, you, what weight you're carrying? A 1,000 pounds in your shoulders. 1,000 pounds of weight. So it shows you how God has created us and he's put pressure in the air and it contains us and he's, he, he keeps us in charge. And the pressure is for something else. Well, what is it for? Well, that's our next point. Point six or proof six. People thought that the scientists used to tell us that the wind blew in straight lines. Just came left, right, but it was always straight lines, left and right and up and down sort of, you know, behind you and in front of you. But now we know it doesn't. It comes in circuits. Watch the, you watch the weather forecast, you see the circuits of the wind coming, going around in circuits. The Bible tells us this. So if they had read the Bible and believed the Bible for what God said before they tried to prove it, you're saying they're only catching up with the Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And verse 6 says, The wind goeth toward the south and turneth to the north. It wordeth about continually and the wind returneth again according to its circuits. This is the man Solomon, the king whom God had given all the wisdom to. And now the Spirit's moving on him to write this and he says, The wind, it turns in circuits. Oh, no, 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 no. You, you, you can hear them all today, all the intelligentsia. Now, Solomon, I know you're a wise man, but the wind goes straight. Bible preacher, maybe 100 years ago, no, 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 the wind must be straight. But the Bible says it turns in circuits. No, no. Bibles are, it's an antiquated book, it's out of date. But now they find that they are actually in circuits. What else is science telling you today that's hindering you in your faith? Or what is man and unbelief telling you? Or a woman an unbelief telling you? That's hindering your faith? You don't need to believe the word for today. We've got this and we do that. And that's an, anti- that's an old book. It's out of date. See this book? This book is more up to date than your newspaper tonight. Do you know how up to date this is? Remember a few weeks ago when we done about the, the nations gathering together for the Battle of Armageddon? Remember I mentioned Russia? And do you know today they had the scrambled jets? off the Scottish coast and they had to send out a Royal Naval warship because they actually sailed right up their Russian fleet. Some of their fleet right up the English Channel. Just today. And they sent up fighter jets. They had bombers flying right along the coast of Scotland. And Labour wants to get rid of the Trident. (laughs) Now, but that shows you we're up to date. So saying this is what's happening. Up to date. Now, again... Let's move on quickly. So, number seven. Science used to tell us that the ocean floor was flat. That the ocean floor was flat, but the Bible again tells us that the ocean floor contains deep valleys, ravines, gullies, or mountains. And mountains. First Samuel twenty-two. First Samuel chapter twenty-two. Let's write it on down to verse 16. Maybe I've got that wrong. Maybe a second Psalm. Let me use it. <coughs> verse 16. Yes, for, sorry, second Samuel. I said first, second. Should have gone to specksavers, Ken. <laughs> Ken I was going to specsavers things my eyesight worse. I can't see really. Second Samuel twenty two, verse sixteen. And the channels of the sea appeared. Now notice this and the channels of the sea appeared, and the foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. So there's channels in the sea. In the book of Jonah, Jonah being swallowed by the the great fish or the whale, whatever way you will term it, but Jonah in the whale's belly. Jonah chapter 2, listen to what he says in verse 6. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me. Now, what do you mean the bottoms of the mountains? Job... He's in a whale's belly. And he says, I went down to the bottom. You know what he saw? He saw mountains under the sea. And Deep ravines around it. In other words, when you go off land, you're actually further up the mountain. Do you realize that? Whenever sometimes you feel, Lord, I wish I was up the mountain. It's glorious up there. He says, well, it could be worse. You'd be way down under there. That's the bottom of it, way under the sea. We're living up here now. That water level has stopped where God has told it to stop. And Joe went down to the bottom of the mountains and saw all of this. So if we had again read the Bible, we would see that the Lord has put all this in place, and that there are actually channels in the sea. Um, it wasn't. There was little known about the ocean floors or the sea floors until 1930. What's that, 85, say, years ago? eighty-eighty-five years ago. And very little was known about the actual ocean floor. And from then, in 1940, we found out that there was underwater volcanoes. And we see them breaking up sometimes. You know, you see the, the, the lava come out and it hardening as it hits the water. But there was actually underwater volcanoes. And then, round about 1960s, and the 1970s, we've seen that there are actual water springs under the sea too. Actual water springs under the sea. And what they would tell us, and we'll look at that in our next one, they would tell us that that couldn't have been. But the, the channels of it, let me give you an idea about these channels. The, around the Pacifics and the Pacific Ocean, it's just west of west of the Philippines, Pine Islands, Indonesian islands around there, and south of Japan, around there in the Pacific, there's a a trench there, or a ravine, and it's called the the Mariana Trench. And they found a a part of it that goes down as deep as 36,000 feet. From the top of the sea to the bottom of this, 36,000 feet. In fact, a few feet over it, but say 36,000 feet. Let me give you an example. Mount Everest, you see them climbing up and needing the oxygen, we told you about the air. Say you broke Mount Everest off at sea level and you dropped it into where this Mariana Trench is, it would disappear. And if you swam, were able to swim down and stand on the top of where Mount Everest is under the water, in the Mariana Trench, do you know how much water would still be on top of you? 7,000 feet. That's how deep this is. be over 7,000 feet. In fact, you'd be able to put the North Sea where they do the oil well, You know that sea where you talk about uh, helicopters have crashed on it and they've never found it again. (laughs) Do you know that the North Sea at its deepest point is only about just over 2,000 feet? This is 36,000 feet. You can put the three North Seas on top of Mount Everest before you'd start reaching the top. That's how deep this is. But they only started to find this out within the last 60 years or so. The Bible says, Job says, I went down to the bottoms of these mountains and I've seen what's under there. I've seen the channels under the sea. But man says, couldn't be. Couldn't be channels are. hundred years ago, couldn't be. It's flat. It's all flat. That's what science, now science knows different. Catching up with the word of God. It's really catching up. And look, you know what that tells me? It tells you, that you and I who believe this, who are meant to be the foolish, but we're not really the foolish. God has made us the wise. God has given us more wisdom. Because why? Because we're containing the spirit of God. Moving quickly, we're nearly finished. The eighth one, okay? The eighth one is the oceans, as I said, had springs. They used to say, all water ran in the Santa said all the water running from rivers. Just kept running in from rivers. But the Bible says it's different. Job chapter 38 and verse 16. Listen to what Job says. Job chapter 38 and verse 16. Hast thou I entered into the springs of the sea? What, Job? Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea? Or hast thou walked in the search of the depth? Job saying, have you seen these springs of water actually under the water? There's fountains under there. <coughs> Couldn't be. Couldn't be. The, the, the sea's fed by all these rivers. Really, now we know that the rivers are fed by the sea. Catching up In the clouds, and dropping on the land. But there's actual springs under the sea. Ninth Bible proof quickly, okay. By the way, see the fountains of the deep, the springs under the water. Do you know when they were first discovered? In the 1969-70, around about then. Nobody knew that, but the Bible tells us. Is it 8 and 2? What did I write 6 and 11 down for? No, nerve, Okay, I did not know where I was doing there. Okay, the when someone got sick, they used to do bloodletting. If you were sick of anything, they cut you open and let blood run out of you, thinking it was getting rid. Of it. And many people actually died from this They let too much out. The Bible tells us that life is in the blood. And when you go to your doctor's, something wrong with you. When I was younger, I detested going to the doctor's because my doctor the only words he ever knew was blood test. My mom used to say, You need to go over to the doctors just across the road from us, and I say, I'm not going. See why? Because he always makes me go for a blood test. And I'm not going for a blood test. But he had to just find out. In fact, (laughs) it wasn't that long ago, a couple of years ago or so maybe, Alison was in in my car and had these papers down the side of the door and she was pulling them out. And there was a couple of uh, things for a blood test. (laughs) And, and prescription, and I went, I don't need that. <laughs> and I put it in the side of it, I sure didn't, you know. And, and she says to me, Where You were meant to go and get that? And she says, I didn't need it. And I didn't go for my blood test either. I didn't need that. And it was in the side, I forgot about it, and it was in the side of the door. But then we find out that whenever you look, check up in the blood, that all this is carried around in the blood. The Bible tells us these things. That life is in the blood. Leviticus 17 seventeen, 11 will tell you that. Now we know spiritually as well. Life is in the blood. But it's in the blood that carries no disease. The holy blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His sacrificial blood. And it was poured out for us. That we might be made whole. So life is in the blood and just for time's sake we're going to move on to the last one. The Bible tells us how to stem infections or how to uh, prevent infection. You know, in the wars, uh, Prussian wars and so, like like of, um, you call the nurse, the famous nurse, Florence Nightingale you know they had basins and they just kept dipping into dirty water and washing the soldiers down And the soldiers were dropping like flies they were just dying left right and centre even from wounds at the thought well they shouldn't be dying of that but later they were getting sicker and sicker and dying but you know what they realised they realised that infection was being carried person to person one to another as well if they had read the bible they'd have found out How to prevent the infection. Go with me to Leviticus Fifteen. Leviticus Fifteen. And notice what it says here in Verse Thirteen. And when he hath an issue, when he that that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall number himself seven days for his cleansing, and wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh in running water, and shall be clean. Issue can be an infection. They were checked for uh, different diseases by the priest. That's why the Lord, when He healed the leper, says, "Go show yourself to the priest. Go prove this that I've done this." And whenever they looked at and they seen this infection is cleared up, He waited seven days, and that gave that incub- uh, not incubation. That uh, lose my words tonight. That time for the for the any infection to to be really dead on him, not to return to him. For a quarantine that sort of, a quarantine time, seven days, once he's pronounced clean, he says, then wait seven days so you don't spread the infection. And after that, wash your clothes. Now, why would you wash your clothes? Because the infection may be in your clothes. And then it says, listen, wash with running water. Because washing, it wasn't like you and I go and turn on a tap and there's the water running out. You had to go and manually lift water out of a well and start using buckets or bags or, you know, animal skins. And you had to put it away down in and pull it away out. And it took a lot of time and effort. So we're saying, you're going to have to wash with running water. But you see, Moses, we usually just splash around us and give ourselves a wash. And I wouldn't like to be the last in the family to come to the basin. Moses says, with the Spirit of God on him, running water, do it, to wash it away. To wash it away. And that was to make sure that he was clean and his clothes were clean and the disease and the issue he was taken away. I want to show you this, and this is our last one, our last scripture. Matthew 27. Matthew 27. This is well known. After I run down, verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, that rather a tumult was made he took water and washed his hands before the multitude saying I am innocent of the blood of this just person see ye to it now you see the basin he takes here he can try and wash Christ off all he wants but the same water he's washed himself with is never going to cleanse him it's a static water it becomes a stagnant water and the more he dips his hand into that, the more he's guilty of it. I remain him Christ. 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 But running water washes away completely. That's why the Bible is likened unto the washing of the water of the word. It washes over you and washes away all the thoughts of the day, the things that pollute our minds, washes them away. That's why the Holy Ghost is like a well of water, living water springing up in you. Just keeps continually bringing life and health and healing and wholeness and wellness. And it's not a stagnant water. But here's just a wee thought sometimes we let the things of the spirit die in us to a point where it starts to become stagnant and all the things of the day and all the problems and all the weariness and all the old nonsense that comes it starts to pollute that which the spirit does not want us to have polluted it starts to congeal nearly the water of the spirit in us. And we realize and we feel unclean, unable, we feel powerless, feel useless, we feel down, we feel lethargic with it, we feel unspiritual, we feel carnal. And it's because we're not allowing the cleansing of fresh flowing water every single day of the spirit and the Word and the word there are ten bible proofs I've shown you there I'm not a scientist it's not as I said in part one creation and all the things is not my excuse the term forte I'm a big prophecy fan you know that I, I study it all the time and I could argue a black crow's white or whatever or vice versa and I'm not jammed up like some people on the whole creationism of it But I'll tell you one thing, I believe everything this Bible tells me. And I believe that these points will show us not only the bigness, the greatness of our God, the power of our God, but shows you the intimacy of our God when he's concerned about your body. When he's concerned about washing water, whether the water's stagnant or running or not. Yet he holds the universe. Then he speaks right down to something like running water. Who cares? Lord, who cares? He says, I care. I care. He cares about the big things and he cares about the weak things. Who cares about me, Lord? I'm just a wee thing. Yeah, you're one of the, the weak and the foolish things and the despised of this word. Yeah, maybe you are, maybe you're not. But he cares, and he gave it to you. He gave it to you. He gave his word to you. He gave his son for you. He shed his blood for you. He gave us this word that we would believe him, that when all these things come in to diminish and decrease our faith and to try and wipe it out on us, so we can say, no, no, you're only catching up. We are years ahead of you because God, the Holy Ghost, he lives in me. So God bless us tonight. Saints, 10, we Bible proofs.